not by himself, okay? He had a sidekick. His name was Tonto, okay? We are not supposed to be Lone Ranger Christians. So I pray that over this series that God comes to give you that same heart. And our desire here at Redemption is to make that as difficult as possible for you to be a Lone Ranger Christian. We want to make that hard on you. We want to bring people into your life that are going to help disciple you. We want to have messages that help to challenge you, to help get you outside of your comfort zone, and maybe, maybe disciple someone else. And our, our desire is that over this time and over this series, that God begins to stir in your heart a better understanding of what it means to live life together and how we are better and how we are stronger together. And we can do more for the kingdom of God together than we could ever do by ourselves. This morning we're going to be introduced to a woman who has a past and has a part in the story of Joshua, but chooses to have faith in God, and and that faith that she has redeems her past and her story and turns it into much more than just one small part. And she makes a surprising decision to put her faith in God. And I only have one point for my sermon this morning, and uh, Pastor Jimbo always says, he uses this phrase a lot, and it came to my mind constantly this week as I was preparing, God can redeem anyone from anything at any point. And my point for this sermon is, similarly, God can use anyone at any time for anything. God can use anyone at any time, I'm sorry, to do amazing things. For us, as we look over this passage this morning, I pray that you see this story that gets redeemed, that you see this this woman who has this background that chooses to make a decision that alters the the fate of her and her whole entire family and her lineage. Let's stand and open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read through this whole passage down to verse 24. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, it starts out and it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered into your house, for they have come to search out all of the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hid them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. And I do not know where the men went out. Pursue them quickly, for they will over, and for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hid them in the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, uh, before the men lay down, she came up to the roof and said to them, "I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us." And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord has dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, 
who are beyond the Jordan, to Shion and Og, whom you, have devoted, uh, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them. Deliver your lives from death. And deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. And if you do not tell this business of ours, then, you will, then when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said, said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. And then afterwards you may go your way. And the men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made to us. Swear, behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. And then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And they departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. And then the two men returned, and they came down the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. You may be seated. Thanks be to the Lord. As we read this story, as I'm sure that most of us have, have heard this story, we encounter uh, a woman. And real quickly, as we get started, I want to talk about something in the branding world we call a tagline. We have something that we call a tagline. My, my normal day job is I, I do digital marketing. I help uh, companies and churches uh, come up with branding and things like that. And a tagline is part of a brand that is basically a few short words or a, a short phrase that you associate with your brand that kind of helps give a first impression of your brand. It helps people to understand an expectation or a tone that you want to set for your brand. So that as they encounter it, they already have this preconceived notion when they encounter your product that, that helps them to want to buy it. Good taglines are memorable and they help to differentiate your product from your competitor's product. Now real quickly, uh, an example of this would be I just put down a few that I could remember. Bounty has this Bounty Paper Towels has this has this tagline. It's called the Quicker Picker Upper. Okay, that helps you to think about if I want paper towels that are going to clean up my mess, I'm probably going to get Bounty because they're the Quicker Picker Upper. McDonald's has one that says I'm loving it. 
You know, De Beers, the diamond company, they're the ones who started this, a diamond is forever. State Farm has this, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Even the Marine Corps has one, the few, the proud, the Marines. A tagline is something that helps people and companies establish a relationship with their customers. In this passage, we get introduced to a woman who has a tagline of her own. And unfortunately, it's not a good one for her. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute is her tagline. As she is referenced throughout Scripture, that is always associated with her name. Rahab the prostitute. There's a select group of people in Scripture that have kind of a tagline associated with their name. I'm sure we could sit here and think of a few, but Simon the leper. Thomas the doubter, doubting Thomas. Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector. So throughout Scripture, people have their name, but then sometimes they have these things attached to them. And Rahab always has this tagline of the prostitute attached to her name. But I want to say this. In the story, we don't have a demonstration of of, of a person's sinful decisions. What we have is a demonstration of this woman, despite her past, having faith in God through her actions that ultimately saves her entire family. So despite this tagline, she makes a decision to place her faith in God. In Joshua chapter 2, let's kind of go through this together. It starts out with Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Chittim, which is where they were, as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So Joshua, being a strategic person, decides in a very similar way that Moses had sent him and Caleb and all the other 12 spies into the land before. He sends these two men in there, say, I want you to go and check out the land, see how things are, see what things are going on in there, especially though, look at the city Jericho. So Joshua follows this common tactic to spy out his opposition before the battle that he knows is coming. And I'm sure that it was very reminiscent to him as he remembered 40 years earlier, he had been one of the ones who had done the same thing. And so as they come, it goes on to say, they went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and they lodged there. And you're like, wow, of all the places to stay, this is where you choose. Well, the reality was it was a place where people would come and go all hours of the night, all the time, constantly. So if you were trying to stay low and you were trying to not be noticed, it would be someplace that you probably would seek lodging. But upon kind of going there, making the decision to lodge there, they, they meet this character. And it almost kind of seems by accident, but it was in God's providence that they go and they meet this woman. And it goes on to say in verse 2, it says, And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search, search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered the house, for they have come to search out all the land. Their plan to stay out of sight doesn't work. They, they, the reality is, honestly, if you want to kind of think about it this way, they're not going that far away. So if you are in a city, and just say, for instance, uh, a couple hundred thousand people were all of a sudden descend upon Mandarin on the other side of the river, you probably would take notice. <laughs> we probably would notice this large migration of people. And so the king of Jericho knows that the Israelites are over there. 
There's no really ignoring that. They know there's this huge group of people over there, so he knows that they're over there. So he, as a good king, is probably, in a way, trying to see what their intentions are. So he's looking out for spies, and he gets report that, yeah, there are spies, and they went to uh, Rahab's house, and they, they're there. Well, for, for Jericho, they knew that there was these people out there, and the question is, are they friendly? Are they coming to attack? Because if you were to find spies from that group, you would know that, hey, these people are going to attack us. They're really trying to check us out. They're really trying to find out our weaknesses because they're going to attack us. If they were friendly, they would send a caravan in. They would kind of make uh, official meet and greets and all that kind of stuff. But no, what they knew, they had heard about these spies coming in, so they knew things were not looking good for them. So as rulers of these cities, you know, they were on the lookout for these spies. And the reality is for the people in that area, they had heard about Israel. They had heard about what God had done, and they were scared. It goes on to say, but the woman had taken the two men and makes a decision here to hide them. Now, I can't say much for her understanding or reasoning, but in the midst of of these people coming to him, uh, knowing that these spies are here, and knowing that there's something is about to happen, she makes a decision that she's going to hide and make a decision to side with these men. And she hides them up on the roof, says, true, and she responds, and she lies to the men who came to her door. It says, men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out, and I do not know where they went. She's like, go after them quickly, pursue quickly, you will overtake them. And she brought them up on the roof and hid them in the stalks of flax, and she laid on the order of the roof. So the men pursued after them all the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So she sends them on a, on a wild goose, kit, a goose chase, so to speak. Say, hey, if you hurry up, you could probably cut them off at the Jordan, because they knew this, that's where they would be going, because they'd be going back to report what they had found out. So they, they jump on their horses, head out of there, trying to cut them off, but ultimately she has them hidden up on her roof. She hides the spies and decides to do something that would have gotten her and her family killed. Because if the king of Jericho would have learned that she had harbored these spies and lied to him, it would not have been good for her and her family. And I'm sure being uh, the prostitute of the area, or one of, she was not highly thought of or highly respected. So there probably would have been no problem in the king just executing her. So she hides these men. Later, it's, it's fixing to tell us why she did what she did. And I think it's actually one of the funniest moments in Scripture for me because I, I, it's, just, it's just very kind of ironic here. In verse 8, it says, Before the men laid down, she came up to them on the roof and said, said this, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. So she gives them three reasons. She tells them, number one, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Two, the fear of you has fallen upon us. That's why I'm making this decision. Because number one, she knows that this land really belongs to them. Two, she's fearful. And three, the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. So there is just, they know that something is coming and that it's not going to be good for them. So here's what's interesting to me about this story. Here's what's kind of funny is the reality was they were afraid of the Israelites. Does that not strike you funny at all? Because I think the thing is for us, we got to rewind the story. We got to kind of look at what happened 40 years ago. Do you remember what happened 40 years ago? For us, 
Caleb and Joshua, they were sent into the land to spy out the land. And when they were sent into the land with all these other 12 spies, see, these 12 spies, they all came back and they all kind of gave a good report. But what, was, what did they say? They said, no, no, really, there was, there was giants in the land. And they started to stir people up and people got all kind of, kind of freaked out about it. And then all of a sudden they started getting kind of crazy. And if you look in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, it tells us here that basically the people in the Israelite community, they raised their voices and they cried out all that night. This is Moses is trying to take them into the promised land. They complained to Moses and Aaron, if, it, if only we had died in Egypt or this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land just, just to have us die in battle? Our wives and children will be taken as prisoners of war. Would it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Okay. <laughs> let's find somebody else because this is not working out. So we are not going in there. There's giants in there. We're not going to battle. If we battle, we're going to die. This is ridiculous. Let's go back to slavery. Who knows what the, uh, what the Pharaoh would have done to them if they would have gone back to Egypt. So I think it's interesting that, that this story, when, when we, we find out that they're actually afraid of the Israel's, Israelites, not the other way around. And I think for Joshua, his mind surely would have remembered. Because if you, if you remember down in the story, in verse 5... Uh, Moses and Aaron, they bow their faces to the ground in front of the whole people. And, and Caleb and Joshua, they rip their clothes and they, and they say this to them in verse 7 of Numbers uh, 14. They said to the whole community of Israel, the land we explored is, is very good, it's great. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. This land is flowing with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. We will devour them like bread. They have no protection and the Lord is with us. So do not be afraid of them. Those were Joshua's very words to the nation of Israel 40 years before this. So you have this moment where they find out this whole time they've been afraid of us. And what's interesting to me is that the, Rahab, in this, in this decision that she makes, she lists the great things God has done. Man, we, we heard when God, when God you know, opened the Red Sea and dried it up so you could walk through. We heard the battles that you did. We've heard the miracles God has done. We have heard, probably have heard of all the, the plagues that God had sent on Egypt. So, so she had heard about all these things. And so the people of that land... We're, we're, we're quaking. I'm sure 40 years before this, not if, it, even till now, they just heard about the Israelites wandering around in the desert for 40 years. They're probably just freaking out because they're probably thinking, when is this ever going to happen? Like they're just sitting out there. When are they ever going to attack us? What is going to happen here? They're in fear of their life. Now, if I was Joshua and I heard this report, I, I just have been, been thinking like, you got to be kidding me, right? Because 40 years ago, we, we sat here in the same place, ready to go do what God had called us to do, but everybody chickened out. And now, because they were afraid, you tell me the entire time the people of this land have been afraid of us? Now, let me ask you this. Do we not do the same thing sometimes? Do we not sit sometimes and, and we judge a battle just like the Israelites based on our own strength? Do we not, God, put a challenge? Does not God put a challenge before sometimes that we just seem like is impossible for us to accomplish? 
We look at our own strength and we're like, God, I can't do this. And that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point for us is that we cannot do it. Yes, Israel could not have conquered that land if God was not for them. And so just as Joshua said to them in Numbers 14, the Lord is with us. If the Lord is with you, who can be against you? You don't have to be worried about that. He is going to fight your battles for you. It's the same for us today. God goes before us. He fights our battles. We need to remember that. That our power is not in ourselves. Our power is in the God that we serve. Our power is not in ourselves. Our power is in the God that we serve. Now, just to, to kind, of, kind of come back to that story, Numbers 14, um, if you were to read down further, it's kind of even funny to me because the Israelites are so scared about going into, into the land that uh, they're ready to stone Moses and Aaron. They're ready to head, stone them, kill them, and head back to Egypt. And so God just says, you know what? I'm just going to destroy them all. <laughs> this is it. It's over. I'm just going to destroy them all. And you know what, Moses? I'm going to use you, and I'm going to raise up a better nation, and everything's going to be good. And, and it's one of these kind of theological moments we say, okay, what was God doing there? Well, we know in his sovereignty, he knows what's going to happen. So he says this, and Moses falls down on his face and pleads with the Lord to forgive them. And when I think about this story, I think about kind of God's reaction to their rebellion. It reminds me in a way of my grandmother. My grandmother, um, we called her Granny Ledlow. She, she lived in Alabama. She, her name was Addie. She is, uh, my, my youngest daughter is named after her. Uh, she was just an old-fashioned southern grandma. Okay? Kind of stubbly a little bit too. But she could cook. But here's the thing, like, uh, she was one of these kind of old-fashioned grandmas that, that we would go there and she would love us and she would hug us and she would kiss us and she was so excited that we were there to see her. But then what would happen is if, if you, were, you, were, you were good and you were behaving and everything was fine, but, but if you were disobedient and rebellion and rebellious, it didn't really matter if you were her grandchild or not. What she would do is she would send you outside to a bush just outside of the kitchen, and she would get you to pick out a switch. And you probably can guess what would happen next. Now, I won't tell you whether or not I was on the receiving end of that. Uh, that's another story for another day. <laughs> but it reminds me of God's attitude here. Like, listen, it's time for judgment for these people. It is time that they come to pay because they are rebellious over and over and over again. So, uh, 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 Moses responds and says, Lord, please forgive them, forgive them. Finally, the Lord relents and says, I forgive them as you've asked me. Moses intercedes for them. As I live and as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, I solemnly swear that none of the people who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I did in Egypt and in the desert will see the land which I promised their ancestors. They have tested me now ten times. <laughs> And refuse to obey me. Are you thankful for God's mercy? Because in that story, we're the rebellious ones. We're, we're, we're not like Caleb and Joshua. We're like the Israelites. God tries to take us in to do something great, but yet we stand there in fear and let fear control us to the point where we won't take a step forward. 
And instead of being confident that the Lord is with us, and so we move forward in faith to do great things, we can stand in, in front of giants, we can stand in front of troubles, we can stand in front of trials and know that God is with us, so we don't have to be afraid. So back in Joshua, down in verse 12, it goes on and it says, Now then, please swear by me. Rahab asked them to make an oath. She asked them to make a covenant with them, saying, swear by me. We need to make an agreement here. I just went out on a limb, and that could potentially get me and my family killed. Swear to me by the Lord, as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my mother or my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And she lets them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the wall so that she lived by the wall. And she said to them, and she gives them a plan, hey, go to the hills, hang out there for a few days, wait till the guys return, and then go across, because they're going to be waiting for you at the Jordan River. So she, she goes out even further on this limb to tell them what exactly they need to do to, in order to return safe. And then there's this interesting little kind of note here. She lets them down through the window with a scarlet cord People, preachers, theologians have, have done a lot with that. And I don't deny that there is a, a, a shadowing or a type of, 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 of things in the past or a parallel of things that happened before because really there's a picture here of the Passover, just like Pastor Jimbo mentioned. There's a picture here of, of, of the Passover when they took the, the blood of the lamb and they smeared it over their doorposts and that was their, their way of escape or that was their way of, of salvation from God's judgment. And in the same way here, these men are let down by a scarlet or a blood-colored cord. That is their way of salvation. And then it goes on to tell us that they tell her as a sign, as a sign, take this cord and let it be through the window that you let us down. Gather your whole house. When we attack this place, gather your whole house, your father and your mother, your brothers and your father's household. Gather everybody into your house. And what I find is interesting They don't know God's plan for them yet. They don't know exactly how God is going to use them to to take that city of Jericho. Now we know. They don't know. They're just like, just just put put this cord, this this cord that you let us down with. Hang it out your window. This scarlet cord. It'll be a sign to us that we know where you are in your household and not not to injure you. So it was a sign of her salvation as well. And it parallels not just the Passover, but forward to the blood of Jesus Christ, the true sacrificial lamb that would, his, whose blood would be shed to provide salvation for everyone who believes. So in a similar way, as she, in, in a way, puts her faith in those spies, we put our faith in God. As she puts her faith in the, Lord, in the God of those spies, in the God of the Israelites, we place our faith in Jesus Christ to be our Lord and our Savior. We find salvation there. So this woman, despite her tagline, makes a decision for us, makes a decision that affects her and her entire household. So they go on to tell her, listen, you know, 
tie this outside. If anybody goes out in the street, you know, if somebody comes out your door, they're going to get killed. If they do, that's on them. If we come into the wrong door and we accidentally slaughter your family, family, you know, that's on us. It says, but if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with no respect to this oath that you have made us swear. According to the words, and she, she responds, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and departed. She ties the scarlet cord in the window as a symbol of her faith in God. She makes a choice not just to hide these spies, but to place her life in the lives of her entire household in the hands and in the uh, in the hands of the God that these men serve. Ultimately, playing a part in the downfall of her own people. That's faith. And so Rahab, who who's mentioned in this story, Rahab the prostitute, she 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 does more here. She's known for this tagline, but she's also mentioned in the New Testament. And some of y'all probably are aware of this already. If you look at Hebrews chapter eleven, verse thirty, it says here in verse thirty, it says, "By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days." And by faith, Rahab, again, with this, with this tagline, the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. By faith, she made a decision that altered her life. And then in James 2.25, it says, And in the same way also, Rahab the prostitute was justified by works when she, was rece- when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. So she has this, this thing, and she's recognized in the New Testament as, as a person, even though having this tagline, as a person of faith, because her works demonstrated her faith. And then ultimately, Matthew chapter 1, verse 4. Matthew just sets out to kind of give us a little lineage He tells us, in verse 4 it says, he just is telling us, it says, And Ram, the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And then Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. You know those names. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. This woman makes a decision to have faith in God that ultimately shifts not just her life then, but also places her into the lineage of Jesus. Wow. We started this story, she was just Rahab the prostitute. And now here we, as we start to wrap this up, we look at her, now she's Rahab the prostitute, but she's this person with faith. She's this person who has this amazing privilege to be in the lineage of Jesus. That decision, this faith decision that she made, not only as an example of faith, but in direct, into the direct lineage of Jesus. And we find that salvation, we find the salvation through the scarlet blood of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. So just like those others we mentioned earlier, who have a a tagline. Rahab has hers. But in each one of those instances, do we not understand that that's how they were identified because God had done such a great work in their life that it wasn't a testament to who they were, it was a testament to who God is. 
It was a testament to the redemption power of God to take someone with a story and with a background like that and turn them into something that he could use. So whether it was a tax collector, whether it was a leper, okay, whether it was a woman who had been divorced when he met her at the well, okay, whether it had been someone who was caught in adultery, there were people who had these stories that interacted with Jesus and Jesus took those stories and changed them and they became a part of the story, but it wasn't what ended up being their story. The stigma that associated their past was really a testimony to the power of God. So as we close, I want, I want us to do something. I want you to take out your bulletin and this has a bunch of notes. If you haven't filled that up, you can probably try to find a place on the front. Here's what I want us to do as we start to close. I want you to draw a rectangle on there. Just draw a rectangle kind of horizontally. And at the top of that rectangle, I want you to write the words, just kind of small at the top, hello, my name is. Hello, my name is. Can you write that at the top? If you do, it should look something like this. Cheryl, show the blank one there. You got it, good. should look something like that. Each one of us in our lives are known by something. And maybe we have got a tagline on our life that somehow we have used as an excuse to say that God cannot do something with me. Maybe somehow someone else has attached a tagline to us that has somehow penetrated into our heart that we have gone on to use it as an excuse to say that God can't do something through me. Below that, I want you to write your name. Write your name under there. And underneath your name, I want you to write the and put a long little line there because we're going to fill in a blank here. So it looks a little bit like this, just like a name tag. And if Rahab had had this name tag, it would have said Rahab the prostitute. It would have said Rahab the prostitute. As I started to think about this sermon this week, I started to think about myself. What is my tagline? What is the thing that I've either allowed someone else or, or, or something in my life to come in there and fill in that blank that has somehow defined me in a way that I have somehow checked out of what God has had for me. I'm going to be honest and be real. For me, that blank would be fearful. Because I'm one of these people who like things to stay the same. I don't like change. I don't like change in my personal life. I like things to stay the same. So for me, it would say, Wesley may be the fearful. And I want, I want you just to stop for a second and think to yourself, what would it say in yours? What would your tagline be? Would it be doubter? Like Thomas? Would it be like maybe addicted? Would it be broken? Would it be abused? Maybe a liar or divorced? Whatever it is that you have added on to your life that has somehow altered who you are. And the thing is for us, we, we have these things in our heart and we know what they are and we hide them in there. 
But what I want to propose to you today is instead of us hiding what that is, that instead we, we, take, we take the bold step in a way just like Rahab here, and we take it and we wear it like a badge on our chest. So that instead of something being something we hide, we put it on our chest like a badge. You know what a badge does? A badge signifies authority. Okay, it signifies who you are, that you're supposed to be here, that, 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 that you have some sort of authority in a place. And so what a badge does for us, instead of taking us like this thing and we say, you know, God, God, I know I have messed up. I know I have these things in my past and somehow I don't understand how you could use me. Instead, we take those things, we put it on our chest and say, as a testimony to the power of God, that God can use me, I'm going to put this on my chest like a badge. I'm not going to hide it anymore. And the tagline may be part of your story, but isn't what defines what God can do in your life, just like Rahab. Her decision was a bold decision of faith that altered her life forever. Did she carry that tagline with her? Yes, she did. But it wasn't what defined her. Her act of faith is what defined her. And real quickly, I want to say this too, whatever you have put in there in that blank, whether you actually literally wrote it or not, or whether you just, just, you just know what it is in your heart, it isn't what defines you. It may be part of your story, but it doesn't define what God can do in your life. So real quickly, I just want to play a little thing called what if. Let me ask you this. What if, what if Rahab didn't hang that scarlet cord out of her window? What if she hadn't chosen to have faith in God of the Israelites? What if she hadn't chosen to receive those spies that they came to her? Do you think any of those things would have happened if it wasn't for her tagline? Do you think any of those things would have happened if she wouldn't have been there in that place and in that time doing what she was doing that God chose to take and redeem and to do something great with? Would those things have happened if she wasn't a prostitute? Because here's the thing. Sometimes God takes those, those taglines to put us in a place where he can use us. So instead of it being something that we should be afraid or shameful of, whether it's God positioning us to put us in a place where we have a moment where we can choose to have faith and God can do great things with us. Our taglines are not a sign of our weakness. They're a sign of the greatness of our God. So don't be afraid of those things. Wear it like a badge as a testimony to the power of God because God can use anyone. He can use Rahab, the prostitute. He can use Wesley, the fearful. He can use you. Whatever that is that you have in there, don't let it define you or what God can do through you. As we close this morning, maybe you have lived your entire life with something hanging over your head. I can't tell you the transformative power that confession has. It has this ability to take something that has weighed you down your entire life, and just as we sang earlier, set you free. I say this morning, if you come here just by accident, maybe you just stumbled in here and you just wanted to go to church this morning, if you have never come to a place where you have confessed your sins, and pleaded with God to forgive you and save your soul, and placed your faith in Him to be your Lord and your Savior, that's where you need to start today. 
That's where you need to be today. As we sing and as we pray, Pastor Jimbo is going to be down front. If you need to speak with him, come, come talk to him. He'll pray with you. He'll love on you. There's somebody, let me say this too. Sometimes we, we, we want to gather down here, but there's somebody next to you that you feel comfortable with. Maybe, maybe share what you feel like that tagline is. Because the reality is we are better together. We need each other. We don't just need a pastor. Okay, we, need, we need all of us working together and loving on each other and leaning on each other and praying for each other so that we get stronger together through being honest and transparent with each other and, and, and having this attitude where we just are open with our brokenness because no one is perfect. So this morning after we pray, I just ask that you would respond in the way that the Lord has laid on your heart. Let's pray. Father, as I think about this story of your goodness and your mercy and how we, sometimes, Lord, we have these ways of identifying ourselves. Lord, we have these things in our life that, that we let define us. God, I'm thankful, Lord, for the testimony of all the people in your Bible, in your scripture, in your holy word that were not defined by that. But God, whether that was a source of greatness in their life, it was a source of your power in their life, as they all were transformed by faith. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's someone here who's never taken that first step, Lord, maybe they're, they're, like, they're like Rahab and the spies have come to the door and she's trying to make a decision whether she's going to receive them or not. Lord, there's somebody who's standing here or sitting here, Lord, who may be on the edge of making that decision. Lord, I pray that you would move in their heart. Encourage them, Lord, to be bold. Lord, and to come forward and respond. Lord, thank you for this privilege that we have to open your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.